The following message is presented by Bayou Vista Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.bvbch.org. Now the message. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of Exodus as we continue our series, Exodus chapter 4. Now, it's Mother's Day, and so there'll be some applications, but let me just throw out a disclaimer here. I have never been a woman. Yep. Never really wanted to be. I'm not got anything against them. But I don't know also what it is to be a mom. Okay, so ladies, I don't want to do any disrespect to anyone, and I don't want you to assume I know the shoes or understand the shoes you walk in. So I hope this morning you hear encouragement, inspiration from the Lord, and conviction in whatever regard the Holy Spirit leads, okay? Um, But I do not know it all. I have never known it all. Um, My wife keeps teaching me. (laughs) Oh boy, here we go. You know, there's nothing more beautiful than watching my wife go through pregnancy. The anticipation, the excitement. But you know, it was all just a watch for me, right? And I remember the first time we were laying there in bed and you saw that elbow go across that stomach. And then a little hand or that foot. And I was like, how is that even right? Because I grew up watching that movie Aliens and it seemed really close. That'll scare you. But I thought, wow, how is that even possible? This has got to be one of God's greatest miracles. And as a man, we have the joy of walking with our wives. But the beauty and I think the love they experience from the beginning, we learn down the road. Because I remember holding them and I didn't know them. But she did. Every minute of every day for those nine months, she thought about them. I did at night, right, when I'd feel a move or when she would get sick, I'd think about it. But honestly, most of the time I was just going on with work and taking care of business and taking care of the church. And so moms, I just want to start with giving you a recognition that I don't even know how to give, that you gave your life in a way for your children, um, I mean, there's potential risk with every pregnancy. And mom, you risked it all to love your children. And so I want to thank you for that. I want to thank my mom for doing that. Um, So let's just start with thank you, moms. And uh, also thank you, wives. I don't know how you put up with us. Um, I don't know how you would ever want to hug and kiss a hairy face. Um, I've just never been attracted to hairy faces. Um, But anyway, again, let's go. Exodus chapter 4. Hey, get off course real quick. (laughs) Exodus chapter 4. Now, last week we ended with the story of Moses. So again, Moses tried to deliver his people, killed the Egyptian, knew he was going to get caught. So he ran and hid in the land of 
Midian, which means in the middle. It means judgment. So Moses was in the process of trying to do what God called him to do in his own power, which led to sin, got him in trouble. And so the Lord sent him to Midian for a little while in the middle of nowhere in a time and a period of not just judgment. God never just judges. He's always teaching. So when we think about Midian, let's not look at it as God sent Moses out there to just punish him, but God sent Moses out there to re-equip him and refocus him on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we'll see that in just a second. So Moses is out there, tending his sheep. Now Moses would have been trained in philosophy, languages, war, leadership. There's nothing Moses would have been equipped by the Egyptians. And remember, the Egyptians trained the man who would lead the Israelites out of Egypt. So God's sovereignty is never irony. It's always sovereignty. It's power. It's not an accident. And so Moses was equipped, again, sent out. He left, fear of being caught, fear of being killed. By, by the Egyptians, he's out there, he's tending the flock. And again, Moses would have been so well equipped to be a shepherd. He knew leadership, he understood logistics, geography, right, the basic needs of animals. He would have been equipped in science much more than the shepherds in the area. Almost the point he would have probably qualified at that point in that place as a vet. There was nothing Moses wasn't equipped for. And again, equipped by his opposition under God's sovereignty. So Moses is tending his sheep, Scripture tells us. And then he sees, right, this, this cloud coming from the mountaintop. And it says he was curious about it. So he went, and this is again, all review, he went to the, the burning bush. And, and the Lord kind of called him. And that was his, if you will, defining moment when the Lord said, this is the point. Moses, this is the point where we're going to do things differently. And any time in our life when we've tried on our own energy and our own effort, our own understanding, because Scripture says lean not unto your own understanding, we find ourselves in the middle of nowhere, like we're going nowhere, where God is judging or punishing us. And no, God, God is not necessarily punishing you, but God is always, always pursuing your heart. And so Moses is there, and, and God says, Moses, it's time you take off your sandals. It's time you recognize who I am. Moses, when you've been in my presence, you're not going to leave the same. And anytime anyone hears God's word, it demands a response. You cannot hear the truth of God's word and ever be the same. So Moses, this is the point. You've been toying around. You didn't, you didn't listen to me. You didn't do it my way. Now, so now I'm going to tell you who I am. And he says, Moses, you're going to go. You're going to set my people free. Moses, just like you and I. Lord, so what? Yeah, now Moses, you listen. You're going to go and you're going to do this. Well, Lord, how am I going to do that? We always have an excuse. To excuse ourselves from faithfulness. And so the Lord says, Moses, it's my name they're going to listen to, not yours. So you tell them, you tell them, I'm the God of Abraham, 
Isaac and Jacob. I have always been, I'll always be. You tell them, I am. Well, reading on the story, Moses is still a little uncertain. He's still trying to wrap his mind around what is an impossible task. Impossible. How is a shepherd guy, listen, now the Pharaoh that was there had died But there's still going to be people there that knew who Moses was. The word's going to get out when the Israelites see him. Again, the taskmasters and the Israelites work together, not necessarily in great camaraderie, but they were working together. So there's no way Moses knew if I go back, I'm risking my life. And not only that, Lord, you're asking me to do something that I'm not even equipped to do? Wow, I remember... When Jeanette was like close, you know that first one? I actually thought about renting a room in the hospital. You can't do that. Didn't keep me from thinking about it. Because in my mind, I'm like, I can't deliver this thing at home, right? I'm not equipped. And if I see blood, I start kind of losing myself. And what if something goes wrong? So it's just, it made sense to me because I'm a little little ADHD. I try to prepare a little bit. So I was just thinking the closer we go to the hospital, the better chance we have of being there. Well, she was having some birthing pangs. And so, boom, we went. Right, you got to get there, boys. You got to get your woman there. And uh, they were like, yeah, no, no. I was like, oh, she's close. And like, yeah, no. Y'all just go back home. All right. So we went home. It wasn't a few hours later. She's like, Eric, baby. We jumped in that truck. Boy, I hammered her down NASCAR style. I was taking them loops, jumping a railroad track. We walked in there, and they said, oh, yeah, doctor, doctor, no time for any medication, no time for any painkiller. And it was like minutes we had a baby. I remember thinking, Lord, I almost didn't survive the birth. <laughs> how am I supposed to do this? How, how, how are me and Jeanette supposed to raise this little boy and do right by him? I mean, Lord, we're still trying to figure out marriage. Not that, not that we ever been bad at it, but there was times we could have been better. And I've decided marriage is like this. The first 20 years you live together. The next 20 years, because I just hit 40. Jeanette's, nah, I'm not going to say. The first 20 you live together, the next 20 you just try to stay alive so you can live together, right? I mean, man, health just starts going. That's no good. Anyway, back to it. I was like, Lord, how do I? This is impossible. How do I be a good husband? Be a good wife? How do I be a good dad? Be a good mom? Take care of each other? Take care of this child? Take care of responsibilities? And and train them up in the way they should go. Because, Lord, there's so many times and places in my life, facets of my life, that I've not surrendered. So how can I teach what I don't know? This is impossible, Lord. 
And so, let's pick up. Moses knows what God asked him to do was simply... Because the Lord just said, hey, you march into Egypt and set my people free. Now Moses, again, educated, down-to-earth guy. He's been living with farmers. He's, his life's pretty balanced right now. Lord, they ain't going to just let them go. Well, let's pick it up. Exodus chapter 4. I'm going to ask you to stand out of recognition for his infallible, inerrant word. 4 and verse 1. We'll read through 17, so stick with me quickly. we got to move. Moses answered, Oh, Lord, what if they won't believe me? And, and they will not obey me, but, but say, The Lord did not appear to you. So, Lord, what if they, what if they try to say I'm lying? And the Lord asked him, What's in your hand? Well, a staff, he replied. Throw it on the ground, Moses. So Moses stood on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. The Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand, he caught it and it became a staff in his hand again. This will take place, he continued. So they will believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. In addition, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. So he put it in and he took it out and his hand was diseased, resembling snow like leprosy. Put your hand back inside your cloak, he said. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. When he took it out again, it became like the rest of his skin. It was healed. If they will not believe you and will not respond to the evidence of the first sign, they may believe the evidence of the second. And if they don't believe either one of those two signs, take some of the water from the Nile and pour it on the ground. The water you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. But Moses replied to the Lord, Okay, maybe you address it. Please, Lord, I, I've never been eloquent, either in the past or recently, or, or since you've been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue, they're sluggish. And the Lord said to him, Who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, Moses. I will help you, and I will teach you what to say. Moses said, please, Lord, please, Lord, send somebody else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. He was frustrated. And he said, isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And also he is on his way now to meet you. He will rejoice when he sees you. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. I'll help you both, you and him to speak, and I will teach you both what to do. He will speak to the people for you. He will serve as a mouth for you, and you will serve as God to him. And take this staff in your hand that you will perform the signs with. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your word, the inerrancy of it, and we pray for the understanding and the application of it. Holy Spirit, teach us, challenge us, encourage us, inspire us, preserve us. In the name of the righteous King, Jesus Christ, amen. You be seated, friend. So let's pick up the story again. I'm going to need something real bad here. You got to have a staff if you're going to talk about Moses. So... I worked out pretty good. 
it would have looked a lot like this. Um, probably not so glossy, but anyway. So he's standing there before the Lord. Now, what you need to n- understand in the story is a Pharaoh has a staff and a shepherd has a staff. So for the Pharaoh, it represents, it would have been ornate. It represents authority, power, right? Strength, um, ruling, royalty. So for Moses, he gave up the staff of royalty for the shepherd's staff. But either way, it was still his way of life. It was his giftedness. So Moses had been a leader in Egypt, but now he was a leader as a farmer, as a shepherd. And so the staff resembled his strengths. It reminded him of weaknesses and days in the past when things hadn't gone well, when his intentions were best. But here he is in Midian, tending to the sheep when he was in the royal family. So the staff would have reminded him that that he disqualified himself in his mind. It also would have been what he was good at and how he was providing for his family and where he found value and healing in Midian. And so the staff is not just a staff. It's a symbol of Moses' strength. It's a symbol of who Moses was who he desired to be, and where his comfort was. So when the Lord says, hey Moses, what's that in your hand? It was kind of like going back to the burning bush when he says, hey, take off your sandals. Moses, we need to talk about some things. So Moses, in his mind it was just a stick, but Moses didn't understood, understand at that point what it resembled. Why did he take the staff? When he took his sandals off, why didn't he drop his staff? Because it was security. How many things do we bring into our relationship with the Lord that are sinful and distracting because they're comforting? Fear is one. Control. And friend, anxiety is empowering. Fear is empowering. The more I worry about something, I'm a warrior. And it'll keep me up all night. And I feel like the more I worry about it, the better chance I have of figuring out. And you know what I've found? I've lost a lot of sleep and hadn't gained one dadgum good thing. So Moses is all worried. Lord, what, what if they don't listen to me? And, and the Lord says, okay, let's, let me give you a plan for that. Now the whole time, Moses has got the staff. And God says, you tell them. I am. You tell him I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You don't worry about it. I'll deal with it. But he says, Lord, um, what if they still don't believe me? What if I do all of these things? And he, again, he's still got his staff. What if I do all these things and they still don't? He says, Moses, what's in your hand? I love it. What's that in your hand? Why are you still holding on to that? He said, well, Lord, it's just a staff. It's just a staff. No, it wasn't. It was his security. It was his understanding. It was his strength. It was what he brought to the game. It's how he provided for his family. And the Lord says, Moses, throw it down. And so catch this. Now that we think 
Right? We, we often interpret this as a snake because the snake was an Egyptian god, that it had to do with something with Egyptians. But no, when he threw it down, it became a serpent. Now, a serpent in Scripture, let's go back to the Garden of Eden. We don't know snake, lizard, we really don't, but serpent, still the same. Crawling, slithering, dangerous, potentially poisonous after the fall. So the snake, the staff, which was his security and his comfort, became something that was potentially dangerous. Does that make sense? Because when we surrender to the Lord, any time we rely on our own strength, any time we go back to our own comfort, any time we go back to our own understanding, that is dangerous. And so Moses' staff, the thing that he had held as security as he questioned the Almighty, and God said, throw it down, he suddenly became afraid of it. He recognized for the first time, oh, no, no, who I have been. The way I've negotiated, that's dangerous. And then the Lord says, okay, now that you've laid it down and you see it's dangerous, grab it. Grab it. It's going to be okay. He picks it back up. Now it changes. He goes from a staff to the Lord's staff. It goes from Moses' security and his comforts and his understanding to whatever God says. And so we see the not we we see a transformation in the character. Moses was called to do something impossible. I'm gonna tell you folks, there has never been a time, I don't think in the history of humanity, that one could argue it's been more impossible to raise godly children that it is today. Friend, simply because of this. Again, I'm going to just interject here. Grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, if you're letting your kids go to your room, the room at night alone and play on this, there's a serpent in your home. Now here's the thing about a serpent. I like snakes. I really like alligators. I think I've told you all that. But I used to catch snakes. Loved to catch them. They're so pretty, especially the poisonous ones. There is nothing prettier than a copperhead in God's green earth. So we were out camping one time. And they were, we were sleeping out by the river. And it was freezing cold that night. And we woke up. And we felt like all of us, a bunch of guys sleeping in our own sleeping bag. Just throwing that out there. We felt something crawling under us like a bunch. I was like, guys, y'all feel something? They're like, yeah. And so I reached down and I grabbed, kind of threw, and I was like. So I was like, boys, get out of your sleeping bags. So what had happened, we had a fire. The snakes got cold. They saw the heat. They came and they got under, they like just. It was like a, a covey of them. I don't know if snakes have coveys or a herd, um, but there was a bunch of them. And so anyway, I, I flipped it over, and there was that copperhead, and I just had to touch it. I could not control myself 
So I got a stick and I grabbed him behind the neck. You know how you grab him. He was going. And it was so close to my finger and I couldn't move. I was like, guys, what do I do? And they were just watching it. I knew if he got my finger, I could, ah, what was I thinking? I knew it was dangerous. I knew it was dangerous, but I still grabbed it. Now what do I do? Well, because I was thinking, he's so fast. If I let him go, he'd still get me. It was freezing cold. I wasn't thinking clearly. So I dropped him, and, and man, he just hit the ground. But I thought that was the dumbest thing I have ever done. It seemed really cool at first. But you know, you play with a snake long enough, you get bit. You, you might play with it once or twice and get away with it, but eventually the snake's going to get you. You know, alcohol has become a controversial issue in the church, and often people ask with stance, and, and I'll tell you, hey, um, it's a snake. Scripture compares it to the poison of a serpent. You can play with it for a little while, but eventually it's going to bite you. It's inevitable. Satan doesn't toy, neither does the serpent. So, Moses is here. He's picked the staff back up. God has taken all his excuses away on the impossible task, and Moses is still trying to negotiate out of faithfulness. And that's what we do. We know God tells us clearly in his word. We learn from his word. The Holy Spirit convicts, and then we negotiate. And so Moses is still, he's seen a miracle. This, the, the staff changed to a serpent and then back to the staff. And God declares that he can go. He'll tell him what he wants. And then Moses comes up with another excuse. Hey, Lord, I can't talk real good. And God's response is so perfect. His response is always perfect. Moses, who makes the mouth? Who makes the tongue? Do you not think I know you don't talk real good. Do you not think I already knew that? So you can't go to the Lord with an excuse that he did not already know or hear. So think about this. When he commissioned you, he already commissioned you in your weakness, not in your strength. Does that make sense? So there's no excuse that is going to give you the ability to negotiate out of faithfulness. See, that you're either faithful or you're not. You can't give God an excuse that gives you an exclusion among the rest of humanity so that you can be the special one and not be faithful. There's no exclusion for anyone. For all have sinned. So, friend, that doesn't work. But Moses thought, well, that, that, that excuse didn't work. I'll use my handicap. God will be sympathetic. Friend, now listen, I, I would say, if you're going to go and speak to the Pharaoh and lead a, a, a nation out of Egypt, communication would be key. So, I, I mean, I think Moses, I, I would argue he had a pretty, pretty good excuse, but... There is no excuse that enables God's people to justify unfaithfulness 
in the sight of the Lord. Now, we do it all the time in our heads. Let's keep going. So, well, Lord, you know I can't talk real good. So maybe you need to reconsider. Um, and the Lord says, Moses, um, son, I, I made you. I'm not, I'm not dumb. No, that, that's not going to work. You're going to do what I told you to do. I took, now, Moses, you still going to? Notice Moses never got out of it. He just said, Lord, could I just have some help? Well, now the Lord grants him this. And I think that's unique. God did not give in to any of the others but help. And I think that's an indication that God didn't intend on any of us walking through the Christian life alone. Friend, we need to be there to help each other, to partner with each other. Man, I'm going to tell you something. I'm raising teenagers. And if they're anything like the daddy, we got a couple pretty exciting years ahead of us, all right? And if they make a mistake, I need you to know I'm going to wear them out. But I need you to encourage them and love on them. And that old idea, if, if somebody at church's kids ain't right, they ain't living for the Lord. Friend, they about old enough to start making their own decisions. And they're already doing it. So, friend, the, the church has been very critical and not been very encouraging when it comes to raising children. And we all know we have an impossible task. And so instead of, Lord, this is just, this is just too hard, I quit. Because, friend, you can't quit parenting. Mamas, I'm sorry you can't quit. You can never quit leading your children to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lead them to the burning bush. That's your job. You're their mediator. You pray for them. You encourage them. You inspire them. You cannot force their decisions. You can't make up their mind. They're their own people. And friend, just because they sin or do something wrong does not mean it's your fault, mama. Did you hear that? If your kid's struggling with drugs or addiction or made mistakes that aren't under the Lord, it's not your fault. They made a decision. So instead of being resentful toward them or embarrassed about them, Give them to the Lord. Just, hey, because you feel like you're unequipped because something didn't happen right. He says, no, 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 that thinking is, is serpent-like. Friend, I know if, if my boys do some things, it's going to break my heart. If little Anna, I'll tell you, little Anna gets in trouble. It's probably because of one of your sons. <laughs> so I'm going to blame it on you. Friend, it's going to break my heart, just like it would any of us. But I, I can't, that can't be an excuse. Friend, I don't know what to do with them most of the time. And they're good kids. But friend, there's no one properly equipped to raise children in a fallen world. You need to catch this, we got to go. God didn't intend for you to raise your children in this world. He intended for you to raise them in the Garden of Eden. Wouldn't that have been different? But hey, we often say, well, it's just too hard. There's no excuse. When we have them babies, we got a job. We have a joy. We have a responsibility. And you know, I used to think, man, one day they're going to 
get out of here and I'll have, you know, you were young and selfish, right? But I'll tell you, watching that little graduation video the other night broke my heart. One day they are going to leave. And I'm not equipped for that transition. So moms and dads, let me encourage you in this. I often hear parents can't be their children's friend. They need to be. Just because you're a friend doesn't mean you can't discipline. So we've all got an excuse because we've been asked to do something impossible. I didn't get to the point. Um, God has equipped you. Moses didn't need his staff. He didn't need it. You don't need anything. When God spoke to Moses, that was enough. You got all you need. God doesn't need any more than what you are right now. Don't, don't tr- just relax. Throw your staff down, whatever it is you've been trying. Throw it down. Throw down your frustration. Throw down your despair. Throw down your, your shame. Number three, in whose power do you walk? Man. Moms, thank you. Um, Jeanette thinks differently than me. I'm like, ah, they'll be fine. It'll heal. Scars are awesome. But Jeanette thinks about so much more. Mom, don't quit thinking. Don't quit teaching us. Um, guys, sometimes we need to be a little quieter. And sometimes... <laughs> I'm not, I, didn't, I wasn't looking up. I don't know. And sometimes, gentlemen, you need to be a little louder. Those kids do not disrespect their mom. Okay, Lord, we come to you as we close with an impossible task, or so it seems. And so our excuses have been multiple. Lord, I need you. Me and my little bride need you. I need you to tell me what to do. I need you to tell me how to respond. I need you to tell me what I need to teach them and what they need to know. Lord, I know there's a day that they're not going to come home and talk to me. I'm going to lose that relationship if I'm not careful. So Lord, I have to tell them the truth, but I have to be a safe place. And Lord, just like you were frustrated with Moses... By all his excuses, you equipped him. So a long life when our children give us excuses, may we remember we have excuses too. So Lord, we need to hear them out. We need to correct them when they're wrong. But we also, at the end of the day, need to make sure they feel empowered and partnered with. So Lord, I pray today that you would give mom a special embrace.
that all of our wives and mothers would feel appreciated, valued, and adored, not only by their Savior, but by their husband, by their children. And Lord, this, this parenting thing is, is a team effort. I pray that we work together as husbands and wives. And Lord, for our single moms, I pray for a special strength and clarity. For our single dads, I, I pray for the same. And Lord, I pray we just bring whatever strength and comforts we have before you. And we lay them down before they poison us. And we'd walk away with that comfort being now the presence of the Holy Spirit. You still let Moses take his staff. You just changed its meaning. It went from a a serpent dangerous to the miraculous power of the Almighty. And so Lord, whatever stronghold, whatever excuse we have, I pray this morning we'd surrender to it. We'd surrender it to you, give you control, and we'd walk away ready to set the captives free. The preceding message was presented by Bayou Vista Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about Bayou Vista, including contact info, go to the website www.bvbch.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.